Who are you? How did you know about it? It's a dangerous question, isn't it? There's never a good answer to it. First obligation of a prisoner is to escape. Ah. So, if one is a prisoner of love, one must escape to solitude? If one is a prisoner to joy, must one escape to sadness? Tick, your lie, talk. Well, it was a good life, but a short one. Tick, tock, tick, tock. A dear friend said to me, if you're falling off a mountain, you may as well try to fly. Here, the end, I offer you one final chance to fly. And you, have you anything to say? Do you by any chance happen to know where Mr. Garibaldi might be? Who? Jakar's desperate mission. There's a reward for his capture. Leaves him at the mercy of his enemy. You'll be tortured for a very long time. On an all new Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. there in podcast land welcome to gray 17 of babylon 5 podcast a part of the front row network and npr illinois community voices we are a group of first ones watching babylon 5 for the umpteenth time and a bunch of newbies watching babylon 5 for the very first time and we are here talking about season four episode two whatever happened to mr garibaldi i'm scott and with me is blake emily justin mike and Justin. and nicole and kevin are out this week but they will be returning soon so we are going to dive into the episode but beforehand a reminder to check out all of our social medias twitter facebook instagram we are really active on twitter uh, our newbies are active on facebook if you want to chat with them and as all those are down below and then also you can join our discord server which has both a general chat and a beyond the rim spoiler chat if you want to talk spoilers with us first ones and that is in our discord which you can get by any donation to our Patreon. If you are listening to our audio podcast, please be sure to like and subscribe. And if you're watching us on YouTube, same idea. Hit that like and subscribe button. It really does help us grow, and we really do appreciate it. We uh, did not get any new Apple reviews in this week, so if you can send us Apple reviews, that would be great as well. Those are the ones that really kind of churn the search engines. We did get two messages from our folks over on Spotify. So from our last episode, we got two quick reviews. One comes from Aid Ball who says, love the show, chills me out when I'm working. And then Jim Manning says, amazing pod. Love hearing the group talk about B5. So thanks, Jim and Aid. And again, you can do those quick reviews 
per episode on Spotify and then on Apple, you can do a full review for the whole show. So before we get started with the episode itself, Mike, I think you have an update for us on what we did uh, yesterday as we're recording this sucker. Uh, yeah. So since we're kind of recording and dropping in a timely fashion here, uh, Saturday, the, uh, the team, uh, some of the team and I participated in uh, the Extra Life charity event, uh, as we have done in a previous year. And I'm happy to report it was our most successful fundraiser to date. We raised uh, $600 and counting for the Children's uh, Miracle Network of Hospitals. So really big thank you to uh, everybody on the team that was able to participate and everybody that joined us that night to watch and, and hang out, and uh, especially those to uh, that were able to donate. So thank you. I'll put a link down in the uh, show notes for this episode because that uh, donation box is still open. So our goal was a thousand bucks. If you can help us get a little closer, that 600 is great. But if you can help us get a little closer, you can donate clicking that link down below. And a special shout out to Tim Chandler, who decided to donate every <laughs> single time I died last night. And let me tell you. Tim made a pretty significant donation when it was all said and done. Tim put down the bounty, and boy, did we respond. Yeah, and he said he were going to break his budget sooner or later, but he kept donating the whole night, so we didn't break the budget. What is it about you, Scott, that people are willing to pay to watch you die? You know, I'm just that kind of person. What can I say? Let's go ahead and get our first impressions from our newbies. Oh, actually, first, before we do that, we do have a synopsis, and I believe Justin has that for us. Not plagiarized at all. No, of course not, because that'd be wrong. This week on Babylon 5, Jakar tries to avoid capture by the Centauri while continuing his search. And meanwhile, Delenn urges the Rangers to strike against the shadows. One of these times, we just got to tell uh, ChatGPT to go ahead and make us a synopsis for an episode and see what it does. I th oh, actually, <laughs> that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> it scares me, but it's cool. So let's get into our first impressions from our newbies. And since Justin, you were just chatting, let's get yours first. What's your first impressions on whatever happened to Mr. Garibaldi? It's not much Garibaldi for an episode titled uh, for him, but I liked it. It seems to me like the entire purpose of writing Jakar uh, for this episode is looking for him to finally be captured by the Centauri. So I'm looking forward to kind of seeing how that kind of plays out. Mia Furlan was amazing in this episode. I absolutely loved her. She had every emotion in the spectrum and she nailed it all perfectly. The scene with Sheridan and Lorianne, absolutely brilliantly done. And I'm glad to know that once again, I was right and Garibaldi was taken against as well. <laughs> Cha-ching. I, I don't know if you can actually fully say that yet. We don't know truly what happened. So I'm just defending Nicole here because she's not here to defend herself, but <laughs> I'm not sure if you can say that fully yet. I feel I feel confident in saying it. Well, let's go to the other person who feels that it was went the other way and that Garibaldi went on on his own. Emily, what's your first impressions? I really liked it. I know we're only two seasons into, or two episodes into season four, but so far season four is doing a lot more for me than season three was. I actually thought the scene between Londo and Jakar where he was in the cell was really good and quite interesting. And um, I'm still not sure about this Lorian character. I don't really trust him, but he is very interesting. So overall, I, I did really like it. Where do you stand now on the whole Garibaldi was captured or Garibaldi left? <sighs> I mean, either way, he was captured by the shadows. Even if he left the station in the fighter voluntarily, they captured him while he was in it. But it said while he was on patrol. 
though that sounds like he was it was either part of the job because he was patrolling outside Babylon 5 or he went out on his own to patrol and was then captured. So I'm really just trying to milk this debate for as long as humanly possible. Yeah, I know you are. And I am really not feeling it, but I'll play along. (laughs) (laughs) Jesse, first impressions. Um, I enjoyed the episode. I have finally gotten to the point where it's starting to piss me off that you can't continue watching. That's happened the last couple of times. You know, sometimes we have episodes that we're like, "Mm, I can wait. And then the last two episodes have been like, okay, I feel like I need to watch right now. Fuck Scott's rules. Let's do it. But (laughs) I didn't. I'm waiting. I'll probably watch it tonight and then watch it again next week. But no, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the the scene between Jakar and Londo. I was thinking during that scene, we, for the entire, what, season one, um, we were like, oh, well, we hope that, you know, Londo you know, turns it around and shows his, you know, his true human side. And that's the vibe I got during that, that that conversation today. So it was a good episode. I I really enjoyed it. Justin brought the exact same thing yesterday or last week. And I told him the same thing I'm going to tell you. Remember in season one where I kept saying it's going to be serialized. Trust me, trust me. Mm -hmm. And no one believed me. (laughs) Here we are. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Good times. Let's go to our first ones. Mike, first impressions. So I missed uh, being on the on the pod for uh, Hour of the Wolf, but these these episodes kind of go hand in hand for me, and I, I I really enjoy them. I think they're really good at setting up um, a lot of suspense for the rest of season four, and in particular, I feel like this episode not just not just the Londo and Jakar scene, uh, but I feel like this episode has a lot of really amazing acting moments from a lot of different characters. Um, so uh, you know, overall, yeah, it's it's a it's a good one. I like it. Blake. Yeah, so I really like this episode. Also, I think it's a really strong start to season four. And some of the reasons I like this one, one, I we may get to it later, but I think this episode proves me right and Scott wrong, but we'll we'll touch on that later. But also with this one, it, Mike mentions the moments of the acting. You've got just some great moments in here with Londo and Jakar. You've got uh, Sheridan on Zaha Doom or wherever he may be in between. And I think for me, the part that hits at home You've got that end scene where Sheridan is remembering Dylan. And from JMS's notes on the series, when he sent the note to Christopher Frankie, who did the music, the only note he gave him was break our hearts. And I think it worked with that whole scene, the music, the filming, the way they cut it. And to me, that's one of the more impactful scenes of the entire series, uh, the way they did that. And it just shows how much stronger this show has gotten as it's gone over the four seasons. Blake, I am very often wrong, but in the case you're referring to, I know I am not. So we'll discuss. (laughs) I'm not. I'm really not. Even JMS has said I'm right. And then he didn't. But yeah, and then he didn't. Because JMS is like looking at a Rorschach painting, but whatever. I said initially that season four is my favorite season of the bunch. And we're continuing to roll forward with that. Like Jesse, I love the fact that this is serialized now. I mean, we've gotten to a point where we actually have, for the first two episodes at least, an introduction from another cast member because we have to be told what's going on because it's such it's moving at such a clip that you need to know episode to episode what happened last episode. So it's definitely serialized television when serialized television really truly didn't exist. And this is what's defining the game that I think is going to lead 
to your Battlestar Galacticas and your Losts and your Game of Thrones and all of that. This is opening up the floodgates, and it's season four that really, truly does that, at least for me. So I'm looking forward to having the conversation. I agree whenever you put Londo and Jakar into a room together, you get really good stuff. And I also love the interaction between Lorianne and Sheridan and that conversation that really gets philosophical. So I'm looking forward to having that conversation too. So where do we want to begin? Uh, Nicole's not here to start us out in a direction. I know. She always has her hand raised. She always does. <laughs> and she's not here today. All right. Let's do Londo and Jakar. Let's do it. Let's the Centauri Empire. Yeah. I thought it was just so interesting to watch the scene where they bring Jakar in because Captain Crazy Pants Emperor is all like, look, I have a gift for you. And I mean, you kind of know who it's going to be. But the look on Londo's face almost has that like, oh, shit quality like this isn't good i am not happy about this and we know him and jakar have not gotten along they have shit going on between them but his reaction to seeing him like captured was not entirely what i would have expected not that he'd be like jumping up and down thrilled but he looked more upset than you know you might have expected a few episodes ago justin I mean, maybe I'm seeing this through my rose-colored glasses of someday Londo will turn around, but that scene where in the throne room, Londo looks to me almost genuinely horrified by what he's experiencing in that moment um, because he he's also like horrified by Cartage's antics anyway, but then the fact that there's Jakar, the one Narn he has a very close personal connection to, whether good or or not, it's still somebody that he knows on a on a personal level. And just seeing him brought like that, just the look of disgust on his face is what I kind of noticed. And just the then the you know flash forward to the scene in the in the prison cell where Londo genuinely looks like he's apologetic for Jakar's situation. It, it it really looks like that Londo is making an effort to be genuine and concerning to Jakar's condition. But at the same time, he's also kind of being still a little bit conniving because he says, well, you know, yeah, you're going to go through a lot of torture. You're going to go through a lot of horrible things, but I want you to help me take out the emperor. And I don't know. I don't buy Londo's promise that he's going to free Narn if Jakar helps him depose the emperor. So it's kind of, there's some good flashes, but then some flashes of, to quote Nicole, he's still acting shady. So you don't think when Londo gave his word that it meant what he, he, he says it means? I want to believe it, but I'm not convinced. Okay. Emily? There's a part of me that doesn't believe it, but Moore actually thinks he will, he may not be able to get it done, but he will try to free Narn because he just seems like he's exhausted by all of this. When we first start out, Centauri Prime was in the good place for them, not for the Narn, obviously, because, you know, the Narn were being colonized and enslaved. So he felt like he was in a position of power, and then they get involved with the Shadows, and I think he's now starting to feel what the Narn have felt. They don't want to be colonized. They don't want to be subservient to this other group, and it seems like he is... Like, he's just worn down by all that. He's worn down by the killing. Because not only has he committed genocide, he has killed his friend. 
because of politics. He had to plot to kill Rifa, who, I mean, he didn't like Rifa, but that still affects you. And now he's having to plot another murder. So I think he may actually do his best to free Narn because he just doesn't want to deal with it anymore. And it's too much. Jesse. I think, you know, maybe I'm going to be naive here, but I think he is going to uphold his word. I think that, you know, of a lot of things that Londo has going against him, I think that that's one thing that especially if Jakar helps him um, get rid of the emperor, I think he will. I, I hope he'll uphold that. Justin. Yeah, I mean, I see your points and they're well received. I mean, it's Londo may be many things, but a liar was never really one of them in a whole lot of situations. But do you think, and I guess I'll have, I'll kind of pose, pose this out to the group. Do you think that Londo is really regretting all of his decisions? Like, is he, is he helping? I mean, will he free Narn out of remorse is almost kind of what I, I guess I'm asking because it's, I want to believe he will. But then, like I said, I'm still not 100% convinced that he will actually do it. Yeah, I don't know if he'd do it out of remorse. I feel like it'd be more just out of wanting to be done with the situation more than anything else, because it seems to just be weighing more heavily on him than I think even he expected. I don't think he ex... If he had expected to be in this position, I don't think he would have done what he did. He definitely expected to be in a better position so I think all the consequences of everything are just more than he wants to deal with or can deal with. We'll see. So I guess just more opportunism than anything. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I think if it was going to be remorse, he would have done it. If there was remorse there, he's had plenty of opportunity to, I mean, to do so, but has yet to do so. Mike. So I guess I'm less convinced that Londo is like tired and done with killing so much. As it is, it's just the difference between, I mean, I think I think he's definitely stressed out by his position being placed so close to the Emperor. He's a different, he's a very different Londo now living under the thumb of the deranged lunatic on the throne. Yeah. Um, so there's that component to it. But I think it really, the whole thing has a lot more to do with the scale um of the situation you know i think it's one of these things where it's one thing when you're standing on like a spaceship looking out a window and rock watching big rocks being thrown at a planet and like part of you knows what's happening but it's indirect and distant whereas you know when they bring jakar in he he flat out says he's like to, to jakar later he's like you and i have never been friends but i know what they're gonna do to you and you can't, with any kind of conscience, whether you're friendly with somebody or not, like, you can't look at another person another in the face and know, like, oh, I know who you are and, like, feel I feel nothing about what I know is going to happen to you, you know? Yeah, not only does he know what's going to happen, now everyone does, because we all heard exactly what the Centauri do. I'm thinking Braveheart with Chikar. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah... I'm hedging my conversation here based on the fact that obviously I've seen what happens after this, but I think based on what you all have seen, you're all making very good points in the fact that Londo has told us since the gathering that he wants Centauri Prime to be an empire again. He said, we no longer want to be a tourist attraction open nine to five for the Earthlings. We want to be an empire. And he knows that Cartesia cannot bring Centauri Prime to the greatness that it is. In fact, he's now got shadow ships on the planet, and that's not good. So I 
I'm pretty sure Londo is still thinking singular minded that he is trying to protect his people, his empire. And right now, Jakar gives him an opening to do that mm-hmm. with being on planet. Emily, you brought up the scene. At least I think it was Emily who brought up the scene. I love that scene with Londo and Cartagia because it says so much about both of them. And actually, there's a little bit in behind the scenes with that scene. So JMS wrote it in a particular way. And actually, before I even say this, I want to hear from the newbies on this. How do you feel Londo handled that before Jakar comes in? And Londo comes in and Cartagia says, well, maybe I'll just kill you. And Londo responds, how do you all feel about that scene? That was oh, the kiss-ass scene. Bullshit. (laughs) Emily says bullshit. How much? Why? No, like his response, because you know it is bullshit. And he is telling him whatever that dude wants to hear. And it was A plus work. Okay. I got you. You could kill me, but you'd be killing part of the emperor. And like, that's not a good idea. You know? A piece of you is in my soul. (laughs) I was so impressed by just the level of what can we pull out of the ass? and save our ass at the same time and it was it was great jesse i i agree it's it's finessing the emperor it's playing to his ego it's learning how to to make the words work with what the emperor needs to hear i mean it's Mm -hmm. just what do you need i can learn to like readjust i i know he didn't believe or mean a single fucking thing he said but he knows what to say so that he's not going to get himself in trouble Mm -hmm. justin one thing I love about the writing with how JMS writes the Centauri is the parallels to the Roman Empire are fascinating. Mm. The fact that that Londo would have to stand there in front of the emperor and basically kiss his ass for no other reason than just to please the emperor. Like, it speaks to the decline and decadence of the Centauri Empire, almost like how, you know, Roman emperors were, you know, their aspiration was to achieve godhood and they were, you know, some of the first rulers ordained by the gods and stuff like that. Like it it's the parallels are just uh just awesome to me and yeah, I mean I 100% agree. Like Londo had to say whatever he had to say in order to, you know, make his point and get in the emperor's good graces and the fact that he knows how to deal with a psychotic tyrant that Cartagia is, is just speaks to Londo's political acuity. This wasn't the point I was going to make, and I know Mike and Blake have some to add as well too, but I'm glad you brought the Roman piece because JMS, back when this was coming out, he kept getting asked over and over again, it's like, is this an allusion to Lord of the Rings with Lorien and everything else? And he pointed out, I was like, you know, honestly, that I, I was always a sci-fi guy, but in the 80s and or late 70s, what he was reading was the history of the Roman Republic and the right. Roman Empire. He was reading mythology. He was really getting into medieval history. So he's that's what he's going for, Justin. You're dead on. He's trying to kind of allude to Roman history uh, and what is going on with Centauri Prime. Absolutely. Oh, from the ver- from the very beginning of the series, mm-hmm. everything dealing with the Centauri to me screamed of of Rome mm-hmm. from the from the parties, the decadence, the multi gods, the you know everything. Just to me, I never questioned anything like Centauri. It, the the Centauri are like space Romans, and that's what I've always thought of them as. 
They even got the little helmets. Mike, what do you yeah. got? So I was just going to take a quick survey. So this this whole scene is predicated or set up on the the fact that Lando kept the Emperor waiting while he put pants on. <laughs> uh, and that was enough that it made the emperor threaten him in this way so who who amongst us believes that the emperor 100 percent would have killed lando or if he had not kissed his ass hard enough the minister definitely does the minister's like hey you gotta get going man it was about as much about him being late because he got dressed i thought it was more about the outfit because there had been a conversation really? with cartagia and changing of the hairstyle and changing didn't he talk about that's mm-hmm. true he did, he did. that he is did. an ongoing that was an ongoing thing yeah you're right so i thought it i mean yeah he was late and i think that played into it but i thought it had more to do with londo showing up in the traditional clothing than the being late part but i could very well be wrong jesse what'd you have oh i think he would have i think he's a psycho he's already got several heads on his desk ready to go yeah hey. The the whole scene about him talking to them, I do think that he will do whatever he needs to do to continue to, you know, forward his um his ego. Justin? I I'm gonna take a different path here and I'm gonna say that I don't think I think right now like Cartagia and Lando are playing a political chess game. And I don't think Cartagia would have actually have killed Londo because I think he still needs Londo to a degree. But it's just like a political game of Cartage is just asserting his power. You know, I could have you killed if I want to. Yeah, and Lando just has to sit there and say, yes, yes, I know. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. You complete me, you know, and all that other <laughs> bullshit that he was forced to spell. And I, I, it's all, it's, 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 it's all a dramatic act. Like, yeah. do I think that Cartage would have killed Lando? Absolutely not. Because okay. Cartage still needs Lando. You think he was so, just bust, busting balls and putting him in his place? He was kind just of busting thing. balls, and he was he was saying shit because he's the emperor and he can. And I think that's all that that was. It was it was it was all political theater to me. Blake, I know you had your hand up before this. Do you want to add to this conversation? Yeah, I was going to go back to what Justin was talking about with the different references, and you added to it. But I was going to say this is also kind of the episode where JMS lost his shit a little. Oh bit. yeah, that was Man, fun. <laughs> Tell us all about it, Blake. That was a fun one. <laughs> it was. So, you know, JMS offered, you know, not only was it a fan of sci-fi, but this is a guy that's read philosophy. He's read the Bible cover to cover twice by his own reference in in the Usenet topics. The fans kept hitting him with, is this a reference to this or is this a reference to that? And these references were just getting like absurdly obscure stuff. So JMS was actually out on the Usenets and someone asked him about one of these obscure references. And his response was just, no, it's not. And that he writes for the character and what is appropriate for the character and about how infuriating, maddening, and bottom line insulting it is to have 10,000 people parsing every sentence and asking, did you take this from here or there, or is this a reference to this or that? Uh, And he finally ended it with, can we please declare a moratorium on this for a while? So this was the episode that JMS kind of lost his shit with some of the tandem on the Usenets, and it was... As we've seen, he can be rather crotchety sometimes. Scott knows all about this. Yeah, I've, he, he needs a moratorium on me sometimes. It's fine. <laughs> Jesse. If there was ever just a a mark of agreement on anything in my life that I've heard, it was just Jesse's, hmm. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I love you all in special ways. Uh, 
So the question that, that Blake's alluding to, here's the, here's the reference that was asked. It was, Marcus is talking to Jakar about his friends and says he's, ha- he's uh, had damn few of them, and most of them are dead. My instant reaction was, that can't be an allusion to reser- Return of Zork, can it? And- oh my god, really? <laughs> and yeah. that's when JMS lost his shit, to Blake's point. How <laughs> Okay, you know what? I'm someone who prides myself on being able to connect red yarn to different places, but there's nothing in any of this episode that makes me think of Zork. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. So rewinding a bit, the reason why I brought up this scene is this is one of the few times that JMS actually took a little bit of uh, directorial license and changed how the scene was filmed. So based on in the script the director had uh during rehearsals had peter playing londo as kind of like meekly groveling to the emperor um and jms came up to peter and just bypassed the director which he says he hardly ever does but he went to peter and said no you're standing up to him here this is to emily's point you are bullshitting like a great bullshitter and you know what cartagia needs to hear to at this moment ingratiate yourself to Cartagia. So you're standing up to him. And so that's why Peter played it that way. And Cartagia responds saying, I like you, you're like me. He doesn't st- he doesn't grovel like the minister. He steps up, he, st- he stands there and takes it. And Cartagia likes that. So it ingratiates Londo to Cartagia. So I'm glad all of you kind of picked up on that, that Londo was definitely uh, in one way or the other standing up to the guy as much as he can be. Since we're talking Londo and Jakar, we kind of skipped over the whole Marcus Jakar piece on planet whatever. Is there anything we want to talk <laughs> about uh, with Marcus and Jakar before we dive into the Londo Jakar scene that comes after the uh, the throne room scene? Justin? I mean, really, the only thing that I took upon it was just every time those two end up in a bar together, a fight breaks out. <laughs> <laughs> and I... Until they got um, un, until they found their shelter and their recluse and their hiding spot, I thought that they were together. Like, oh, Marcus is helping Jakar and stuff like that. I I didn't pick up on the fact that Jakar had no idea Marcus was like following him around. And their their kind of the discussion about how you know Garibaldi is Jakar's only friend or first friend that wasn't an Arn, and then. Marcus basically saying, well, you know what? You're my first friend that is an Arn. And just Marcus feels this kind of connection to to Jakar based upon some of their past experiences. I thought it was kind of cool. And I'm actually glad like Marcus is actually back. Like we really didn't see him in the season premiere at all. And then finally then he's back and he's, you know, doing some stuff again. So I'm glad to kind of see him around. But it it just felt the whole thing with like Jakar's search for Garibaldi to me just feels like a convenient plot point for what how Jakar gets captured. But I don't dislike it. Like I think it's cool, but I'm like, okay, this is why this is all going on, because now they're gonna set this up for JMS needed to get to the point to where Jakar is captured and being held prisoner on Centauri Prime. And then, like, the whole Jakar's search for Garibaldi and I hope, you know, I owe him a life debt or whatever he wants to call it, you know, was just feeder, feeder for that. But I'm, I'm, I'm very curious and I can't wait to see how that all progresses. Emily. When the first fight scene broke out, I, I did think they were together as well. I was like, oh, 
are, are they doing this together? Because that would be interesting. But, you know, they seem to like a good fight. So it kind of made sense. And then when they have the discussion that Marcus had fought, like tried to find him, I was like, wait, what? And I'm kind of confused on why Marcus was trying to find Jakar. Like, is he actually trying to find Jakar because he's worried about him? Is he trying to find Jakar because he's worried about Jakar and Garibaldi? Um, is he getting bored because he doesn't have much else to do on B5? So he's looking for a good bar fight because, you know, that seems to be what he enjoys doing. I I guess I'm confused about what the actual reasoning is for him following Jakar and on Jakar's mission to find Garibaldi. Like, for me, this scene also has a great example of where JMS can take these really serious and kind of heavy episodes and just throw in those little minute moments of humor. Uh, you've got uh, Marcus and Jakar in their little hideout, and uh, Jakar plays with the staff a little bit, uh, the extendable pike, stands up, and Marcus tells him, you know, push the button, he does it, and you just hear that cat screech as soon as the thing extends out yeah. and knocks the boxes over. And you've just got, got Jakar there. I like this. So <laughs> just that little humorous moment amongst the rest of what was a rather serious episode. JMS was asked if he was the one who put the cat sound in there, and he said, yes, cats are always good for humor. Mm-hmm. At least they didn't shoot one like in uh, Boondock Saints. I don't know. That pike is pretty fast moving. <laughs> well, we yeah, never that cat did not survive the pike. Yeah, we're never seeing. We never saw the cat. <laughs> Let's fast forward now past the throne room and talk about Londo and Jakar in the cell and what's discussed there because I think it's a it's a monumental scene, at least in my opinion, between these two characters. The last time these two were together in a room, it was on an elevator and they wanted to kill each other. And this is a little different now. Like I said earlier, but whenever you put those two people into a room together, Mm -hmm. magic happens. It was really touching, but at the same time, I'm not 100% sure they're not that far off from where they were when they were in the elevator. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. yes, they may may still want to kill each other, but it's going to be a lot more, right now they're a lot more toned down and... It's definitely Londo speaking from a from a position of power. So it's I I I don't know. I, I I really think that they're coming to an understanding because remember, like early in this in the series, they really didn't like each other. But then that brief moment before Jakar realized that what Londo was involved in the shadows and what he was about to do. There was almost, for a very brief moment, like a touch of understanding between them when they're sitting at that bar together, and then everything else happened. And I think maybe they're finally getting back to that point where we don't have to like each other to work together and understand each other. I really hope that everything that was promised in that scene comes to fruition, but I still can't get myself to honestly believe it yet. Emily? I mean, it was an amazing scene, but I was really questioning why Londo was explaining how they would finally kill Jakar. Why was he telling him that? Was that some sort of like psychological game? Because to sit there and tell someone, I know exactly what they're going to do, and this is what they're going to do to you. I mean, that's going to fuck them up. If you know that's what the plan is, that you're going to be strapped to a table and gutted. While you might still be alive, I mean that's that's really gonna do something to you. I mean, it's so, it's almost a threat, isn't it? It's like this, like you either work with me or this is what's gonna happen. Right. So yeah. I was kind of feeling like maybe that's what he was doing. I, I think he's 
I, I, I'm going to be as much as I've bashed Londo over the past couple of years as he's kind of taken his turn. I think this is Londo just genuinely being, for lack of a better term, a human being and saying, look, man, um, he even says it. I mean, if you just wanted to kill yourself, I would have done it quickly for you and, you know, done it, you know, painlessly. Now you've decided to walk into the throne room in chains. And now this is what's going to happen. So I, I think part of it is to Mike's point, I think he's trying to say, you need to work with me so this doesn't happen. But I think he's just being honest with him and saying, you're a man who wants to know what you're getting into. You're a man of action. You've always had been. And I'm going to tell you exactly what's next. And yeah, because he didn't seem to enjoy telling no i don't know he didn't see it's not like he took pleasure in it so i was like i don't really think this is so yeah. much a mind game but it still kind of felt that way well and jakar even asked i was like do you feel good about that and he's like no i wouldn't wish this on anybody yeah justin what you got i i think some of it's mental preparation because londo has this objective in mind of being able to use Jakar to help depose Cartagia. So he's saying, hey, look, dude, shit's going to get real. It's going to get bad. You're going to go through a lot of bad stuff, but I promise you on the end, it'll be worth it. You know, if you can just help me do this thing. So he was describing everything in detail just so I'm, I think that Jakar can get in a mental space to where he can be prepared and knows what's coming. So maybe he can handle it better and be able to survive it to the point to where then he can help Londo. That's a good point, Justin, because Londo says, too, you're going to have to deal with a lot of shit before we get to yeah. a point where we can execute whatever this plan is. You're oh, going yeah. to be shit's tortured. Gonna suck. Shit's yeah. going to suck for a while. Mm -hmm. And you just have to bear it. And get to it, and then I promise you it'll be worth it in the end. So I think that was kind of Londo's mm. reasoning for telling him how bad it's going to get, just so Londo, or just so Jakar can put himself in the right mind frame. Emily, um, for the scene that we've seen in the future where Jakar, they're both old Londo's emperor, and Jakar comes out and they strangle each other. Um, Jakar has an eye patch, so. Assuming there's either severe damage to the eye or he lost his eye. And I was wondering if this is when it happens. If that's part of the like torture process that he's going to have to go through to help Londo get rid of Cartagia so he can maybe have Narn free eventually. He actually gets it scratched out by a cat. <laughs> it's really anticlimactic. Cats are always humorous. in the face with a pike. <laughs> yeah. That's not a cat. That's not a cat. We That's already saw that happen in uh, the uh, one with like Exogenesis. The guy smacks himself in the face with a pike. We've already seen this. Two things I have on this scene. And first off, Justin, I'm going to play you and start connecting some red wire here. Uh, right. And uh, you actually mentioned that this episode's called Whatever Happened to Mr. Garibaldi. And he's only in it for like two minutes. I think Garibaldi is very much in this scene because you have the two quote unquote best friends of Garibaldi in the first couple seasons was Londo and now it's Jakar. And when Jakar comes into the throne room and Jakar asks, you know, do you happen to know where Mr. Garibaldi is? Londo is kind of shocked by that because obviously there's a connection there, but all of this kind of has led Londo and Jakar to this point. Jakar is obviously out here trying to find Garibaldi because no one else will. And it's his friend, as he said. But Londo 
has been drawn to this point because of his relationship with Garibaldi in some cases as well, too. So I think even though he's not a part of this episode much, uh, his fingerprints are on what's going on here. I think without Garibaldi, you don't get to this point is what I'm trying to get at. So that's one piece. But Justin, what you got? Well, no, actually, I was going to agree with you. And you made an excellent point there that made me think of something that I thought about when I was watching the episode is I think that was a subtle communication from Jakar Delando about, hey, you you were friends with, you always liked Garibaldi. You know, that's, do you know where, you know, Garibaldi is, was uh, Jakar's communication to Londo, hey, something's wrong with someone that you cared about and was friends with and made it because you saw kind of Londo's face change a little bit. The other point I wanted to bring up, and this is probably a ham fisted, but I like this kind of direction is I love when the cell door opens and you have the light shining on Jakar, blinding Jakar, because he has finally found his opportunity. He has mm-hmm. found that the, and it's, it's out hunting for Mr. Garibaldi, but he's finally found the opportunity to finally free his people. At least, Potentially. We'll see if it happens or not, but it's kind of like an epiphany by way of self and cell door. So I like that in the scene as well, too. Let's hop over to B5 before we do Zaha Doom. Uh, anything you guys want to talk about in terms of Delin? We found out that the league has actually officially broken up now, so they're no longer a thing. And obviously Delin is not in a good space, but anything you all want to discuss with that? Justin. Yeah, I thought, I mean, like I said in my in my first impressions, like Mia Furlong just hit the hit the ball out of the damn ballpark on this on this episode. Like she with with the with the kind of the entire gauntlet of emotions that she ran through from being borderline suicidal, um, willing to starve herself to death so that she can if she can't join Sheridan in spirit or in, in body, she can at least join him in spirit. And from then when uh, Franklin was present, you know, presented her with the recording that he found about, you know, Sheridan finally like confessing his feelings for her and stuff like that and trying to turn the lessons of his father to turn something that is a negative into a positive, you know, and just seeing that kind of change within her to where now bitch is going to go to war. Like she's going to like, completely tried to attack Zaha Doom and you know what you took my man away from me and I'm going to make you pay for it because it's within this episode you see multiple stages of grief from her and it's finally her coming to terms with the fact at least in her own mind that John is gone she went through the whole sadness and now she's in the anger stage and she's she's not playing and it's going to be I've got some thoughts later on for questions and, and, and predictions about how this whole thing plays out. But she's not playing anymore and she wants to go hit them and hit them hard going like, you know what? You took my man away from me. I'm going to make you pay for it and I'm going to make you suffer. And it's she she could not have acted out this entire episode any better than what she did. Like I was just in awe watching her this entire episode. I do love how she's trying to sell the Rangers on this plan. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Some of you are going to die. Maybe all of you, but you'll be fun. It'll be worth it. Yeah. It's like, we're going to take a lot of those bastards down with us. And yeah, she, she said, you know what, you know, the the whole quote, and I, I wrote down a lot of that um, entire recording that Sheridan did. And it's like, 
it couldn't be more perfect. If you're falling off the cliff, you might as well try to fly because what have you got to lose? So it's, it, it played really, really well. And I, I loved her in this entire episode. Emily. Yeah, I thought this was actually a really interesting scene for Lanier because one, he's breaking protocol to go to Dr. Franklin. And I I really liked the interaction between Franklin and Delin because we're seeing the change in Franklin since he had his walkabout. You know, he's going in, he's not being the arrogant doctor. He's being concerned as a friend and a doctor. Like, I understand this is, you know what your people do but you are also half human and it's likely your system cannot handle this and to go to her with the recording of sheridan knowing that it would likely help her i thought showed a lot of growth on his part yeah i think she's gonna blow zaha doom up because she's not playing (laughs) like she's gonna go there and take it out and that'll be the end of it Threatened to like rip a ship apart piece by piece by hand. I was like, mm, she might do it. She might do it. <laughs> so I kind of think she might just uh, take out the whole damn planet and all the shadows, or as many as she I can. I agree with Emily. I can't wait to see what what war rage looks like from Delenn. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think we're going to see it, and I want to see it, and I want to be spectacular. Yeah, because we've seen her angry a few times, but we haven't seen her fully let go. So <laughs> I feel like that'd make for a really good boom. Well, since we're talking about boom and Zaha Doom, let's move over to Zaha Doom with Lorien and the good old Sheridan. Blake, is this where you want to tell me I'm wrong? I'm sure we'll get there in the course of this conversation, but let's okay. let Justin start us off and then I'll tell you you're wrong. Justin. So yeah, I was 100% wrong. I, and I, Unlike Scott, I'm willing to admit that. I, I and... said earlier that I'm usually wrong. I said that. Just not in this case. But you are. But uh but uh cha. Um I I really thought that this guy would end up being like some kind of like Kosh figure in Sheridan's head that he was having a conversation with. And it turns out it's not, which I'm okay with. Uh, but it's really cool to see like he is the first one. Like, he predates the damn Vorlons. He predates the damn Shadows. And even when, like, Sheridan confronted him, he's like, you know what, dude, I don't want to die because I'm needed. There's a war out there. Don't you even care about what's going on? He's like, of course I do. It's It pains me to see my children fighting or something like that, you know, something to that effect. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was, I still don't know if, like, he's still there in person or if, like, how Lorian says, this is all playing out within a fraction of a second. You know, you're one second from, you know, tick and you're one second from talk. Like you're right in between this, this weird parallel ish universe of between life and death. And this is where you have to make a decision, which way you're going to go. And it was, yeah, the philosophical ramif- you know, ramifications of like that entire sequence of scenes is fascinating. You know, how do you embrace death? How do you accept death? You know, and I I think it was brilliantly written and brilliantly done. And even though, you know, Lorian is not a Vorlon or not Kosh as I expected him to be, but Lorian even identified, you know, you've got a little piece of a Vorlon inside you and stuff like that. It's like, I can kind of sense that. So it's, yeah, I, 
is yeah there's just so much to unpack so i'll let somebody else talk for a second blake so there is a debate that has raged for 30 years amongst babylon 5 fans and to clarify jms has given contradictory statements on this uh he's told scott he's right while simultaneously then later saying no he wasn't so there's there's multiple perspectives on this but let's remember back to the vision that sheridan had uh when kosh was in his head and one of the things in there was the man in the middle is looking for you and there's been this debate over who is the man in the middle now scott and jms at some point has said it was the character justin from zaha doom as the man in the middle myself and others though say that Lorianne fits better because it isn't he's between the tick and the talk he says he's been waiting for someone to get that far and then there's that question he asks because you have the two questions that the vorlons and the shadows ask the vorlons who ask, are you and what do you want and what do you want but then there's the question that's the balance that Lorianne asks why are you here there's the third question that balances in the middle so just out of curiosity we have only two newbies left here at the moment but which argument do the two of you think might be the better case for the man in the middle? Can Just, I def- can I defend my f- middle management? Yeah, I'll can I defend hear, myself first, prosecutor? Yeah. Can no. I before you go to the jury? Okay, so first off, the prophecy wasn't the man in the middle is waiting for you. It is the man in the middle is looking for you? Lorien has been waiting for someone to show up. He hasn't been looking. He's been hanging out wherever he's hanging out the prophecy dealt more with the shadows and everything in that prophecy had to do with the shadows along with that it has uh, the, the what they discussed with the prophecy was that it was a yin to a yang Lorian isn't a yin to sheridan's yang justin and the shadows were and still are along with that to what jms has said jms back in the 90s did say that flat out the man in the middle is justin he said that in the usenets now later on he's kind of hedged his bets and everything else after people have debated it and i did ask him on twitter a while back and he initially said yeah man in the middle was justin and then he replied saying but it's open to interpretation and everything is blah 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 so he never actually said Lorian's the man in the middle he said it's open to your interpretation but i still think that prophecy is over we dealt with it with the shadows and justin we're now moving into something else with Lorien. so i think we're just trying to extend the man in the middle past where it's lived out its shelf life so that's my thought but i also added that the part of kosh that's in sheridan told him to jump and kosh is who gave him that vision in the first place and Lorien admits he knew kosh kosh would have known he was there but was he looking for him Kosh was definitely, and I, I actually, I, I agree with you on this now. I think Kosh definitely said jump because he knew Lorian was down there. But I don't think A and B are correlated. So newbies, you've heard both sides. <laughs> uh, to the jury. They think well, you go first. Well, and I, I said on our Beyond the Rim last week, this is the conversation that's last, la- launched a thousand Reddit posts. So no matter what you all say, it still won't be answered. I also We're really like that there are two of you and you, you are very possibly going to tie. <laughs> Mike, that's where you come in? Mm. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like I've stated my opinion beyond the rim. So. Well, but now you can state it now in the open. I think his opinion last week was he wants to watch the debate. Or was that Kevin? Maybe Kevin wanted to watch the debate. <laughs> one of the two did. I can't remember which one now. <laughs> so, Justin, Emily, is it Justin or is it Lorianne? Oh, shit. Um, 
Emily, do you have an answer yet? Because I don't. <laughs> like, I, okay, I like Blake's point, and it is fairly convincing, but I still think it's Justin. <laughs> so let's recap here. I like everything Blake said, but he's wrong. That's why, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> There's those trust issues again. <laughs> Look, those trust issues always come out somehow, some way. So just, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I Justin, mean, I'm I argue not... Justin wasn't really Sheridan's equal either, though, because he was the middle. There's nothing that indicated that Justin was leading the shadows, that he was nothing more than just another right. meat right. puppet well, in the shadow. I, I can flip that on its head, though. Is Lorian Sheridan's equal? The dude is a big glowing ball of plasma. I can't uh, but he's got Scott. he's got a lot more shit in his sleeve than Justin did. And, Wait, being, and, and being a Justin, we're, we're pretty intelligent people. <laughs> <laughs> can we get a new jury? Is that possible? Can we... <laughs> Well, and, okay. Here's 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 why it's going to end up a hung jury because I wanted one hear other newbies' opinions on this. Yeah, yeah. But y'all both make good ass points, and I can't like I can see both damn sides, and it pisses me off because like I want to say yes, Blake's Blake's interpretation of it is makes perfect sense, but then Scott, yours does too. And I, I, I don't I don't feel like I have enough information yet. That's true. I mean, uh, well, go ahead, Blake. Just say, since this jury is fucking useless. I'm about to say. <laughs> can we add a poll with this somehow to the listeners? Yeah, I can figure out how I can. I'm amending my, my judgment, and I'm going to say that they're both the man in the middle. They're all the one. <laughs> The one who was, the one who will be, and the one who is. The man in the middle who got nuked, the man in the middle who did not get nuked. (laughs) Yeah. Like, oh, God, it's it's rough because... But to Justin's point, I mean, you hit... This is... I'm pretty sure I can say this without being called a spoiler person. You haven't seen The Last of Lorianne, so you're going to learn more about Lorianne. So you may be able to make a better determination one way or the other uh, after you've uh, heard a bit more from this guy, so... Also, there's nobody more in the middle of everything than Zathras, so... (laughs) Zathras is. And he... Sheridan doesn't like him, so they are yin and yang. (laughs) Zathras just is, yeah. I I saw somewhere a meme a while back where it was... uh, uh, Valen is the one who was, Delenn is the one who is, Sheridan is the one who will be, and Zathras is the one who should have been. Well, and as Scott said, th- this debate has launched discussion thread after discussion thread for 30 years. Yeah. Scott and I have debated this between us for a very long time. Um, the last thing I will say on it, though, is uh, when Scott announced, and some of the newbies saw it, no one thought knew what the fuck I meant. But when Scott <laughs> announced that we had a TikTok for Gray 17, and I responded to it. I thought we were between the tick and the talk. This is the episode I was referring oh, to. Oh, shit. Yeah. And, and I do believe I did the Captain America. I got that reference. You did. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Lordy, lordy, lord. Justin just got the joke from two seasons ago. Yay. Yeah. Callbacks. Well, we'll put that in our back pocket. The fact that Blake is wrong, we'll get back to that later. Uh, But right now, to the point of the tick and the talk, I love to talk about this kind of philosophy of death and to what Blake also brought up, this third question. And I would actually argue there's two questions in this episode that are new to us. The one is, why are you here? And the other one right. is, do you have anything worth living for? Right. Do you it's... have anything to eat? 
<laughs> yes. Well, it, uh, well, he, well I, I can't remember which newbie it was last week who was complaining about the dude has an eight. Now DeLorean said you're dead. Now we know why. You're now a zombie spirit. <laughs> yeah. Where's your pulse, bitch? I mean, honestly, like, none of that really phased me at all. Like, oh, hey, I'm between life and death, stuff like that. Okay, that kind of makes sense. But, um, yeah, the whole thing with, like, oh, shit, I just lost my train of thought. Um while Justin tries to get the train back on the rails, can I just ask Emily? Does this? What was the question again? Well, he's gonna ask Emily a question first. Then we'll get I'm back to you, Emily. Justin. A question for? Does this where the fuck he got the cloak? I mean, for Christ's sake, he's dead in some metaphysical construct. Does that answer where he got the cloak now? I mean, I guess. <laughs> Well, and, you know, we didn't, we, we, uh, JMS just to make more, uh, questions, which I, and as much as we're trying to be finite and decide, okay, this is what happened. This is what not happened. I do like that. He always leaves stuff up to inter- interpretation is Sheridan in a cave of Lorien, or is he hanging in front of the big ball of plasma the entire time? We don't get an answer to that right now, but we have two options, but, uh, Justin to what you were saying or trying to say before you derailed the, the, the big piece of this, uh, conversation is and Lorian says it that Sheridan's people Sheridan's friends need him in a place where he's no longer afraid and it's very easy to continue living just because you're afraid of what death is it's a different thing to decide that you have something worth living for and I think that's something I mean Garibaldi mentioned this in season one I think it was infection he talked about people have always find ways not to die. The question is, do you find reasons to live? And so I, I find that conversation really enlightening. It also would have been a lot more interesting if Sinclair were there. Yeah, yeah, it would. Sinclair, the guy who actively had a death wish. That's true. Good point. And that was well, pointed yeah, out how it... many times in season one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mike, you just blew my brain up. Congratulations. <laughs> Now I'm rewriting season four with Sinclair in it. Okay, now can we talk about how annoying Lorian is? Oh, yes. really? <laughs> oh my god, like, he's irritating. What if is you're... with all these ancient dudes and they're fucking talking in riddles? Like, could we just not? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you sit in the cave for a billion years and see how you feel. Honestly, he makes more sense than Kosh because he's super chatty and he's clearly out of touch. <laughs> that makes that that makes a lot more sense than somebody who like speaks in one word answers. I do like randomly extends your neck. I, I do like how Lorian contradicts himself in one sentence. He's like, I hate to see when my children fight. And then Sheridan's like, so the shadows and Vorlons are your children? Well, maybe siblings. <laughs> yeah. I don't 100% claim them, but yeah, I mean, we're kind of related, but it may be through marriage. There's, you know, it's all kind it, of convoluted. We there's all have that one relative. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's, a, there's a moment when like when Sheridan's, you know, wandering through the caves, just trying to ignore Lorian behind him, chattering away about his TikTok. And like he comes up to the camp to the campfire and he's like, shit, I've gone in a big circle. And then Lorian starts in again. And you can just tell the look on his face as Sheridan's like this fucking guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, Mike, I thought you were going to bring up his extremely long fingers that are very creepy looking as well, too. But nah, I mean, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> also it's Vern from Space Invaders. <laughs> I just I don't know where else to segue this in, but Space Invaders is like one of my favorite childhood movies. And this is it's it's this fucking is, Vern. This is the second time 
yeah. that you have made a Space Invader reference in this show. It's amazing. And we need to watch it again. We use How many times have we watched it in my damn basement? We should, well, <laughs> once, because I think we found something else by accident. Anyway. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a story time right no, there. No, so next, next Halloween, uh, Grey 17, we'll watch Space Invaders. We'll subject... At least somebody that hasn't seen it before. Haven't yeah. seen it? It is oh. the DOD, the donut it of is, destruction. It is. I don't know what it is. It's It's a movie. Uh, <laughs> but it's a really fun movie that I remember fondly and probably won't after I watch it again. <laughs> That's usually how it goes. Uh, anyway, Vern. <laughs> creates the farm toy <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get this reference i'm the only one with you on this mike but i can see it yep. <laughs> so i'll give him this all right i find i find lorian kind of annoying he, he reminds me very much of marcus when we first meet marcus so he'll probably grow on me that said uh wayne alexander is a very good actor i think he plays the part of creepy disconnected mm. alien weirdo very well <laughs> And I went and IMDb'd him to see, like, okay, what does this guy actually look like? What else has he been in? I know what he looks like because Space Invaders, but... Well, and um, he was uh, Jack in Inquisitor, comes the Inquisitor. Oh, yes. Is that the same guy? That's, that's Wayne Alexander. That yeah. was the other reference. You're right. Oh, my God. Okay. That's incredible. And now, now my mind is blown because if you go to IMDb, there's, like, the only photo of him is Lorien. That's That's <laughs> it. <laughs> no, Wayne Alexander plays almost every alien on the show at least once, but he was also the one human character he played was Jack the Ripper. So, oh, okay. Well, it makes sense. He's he's a good actor. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're between Tick and Talk. I, for one, look forward to watching Space Invaders again. Excellent. Also, suggested has seen it. Yes. Excellent. Blake's like I have no fucking clue. <laughs> I love the fact that I tried to get into a deep conversation about the, what it is to live without the fear of death, and we moved into Spaced Invaders. I just, this is this podcast <laughs> in a uh, nutshell. It's 10.30 at night. We can't do that. <laughs> it's actually 11.30 because of freaking daylight savings time. Uh, yeah. My, my whole clock is all jacked up right now so it should be twelve thirty then for me exactly so. it's i, I freaking hate the whole fallback spring forward crap Arr. i feel like i'm between tick and talk right now so we'll go ahead and move into questions predictions for those of you who are just joining us for the first time our newbies have not watched past whatever happened to mr garibaldi by the way we never actually talked about the scene with mr garibaldi I mean, oh, we have not. No. Well, yeah. Should we do that real yeah, quick? Yeah, we should do that. I mean, maybe. I think, I, think, I, think it, I think it fits very well that everyone else forgot about Mr. Garibaldi, and we did too. So. I mean, poor Mr. Garibaldi. There's not much to talk about. Yeah, it's a two-minute scene, so. Yeah. Justin, I feel like it's in your wheelhouse. Do you want to talk about it at all? Yeah, Um. because, yeah, I was like, I'm still the only person who actually believes that he was taken against his will. And then when we finally get to see Mr. Garibaldi, he's locked up in some kind of room being Garibaldi, making a mess, banging, breaking lights, like creating chaos. And so then the knockout gas happens. And then who else walks in but somebody in a fucking psychop uniform who then is like, holy shit. Okay, so then who actually, like... So the last time that we saw Garibaldi was he was sitting in a Star Fury when wasn't out on patrol, per se, in my opinion. He was responding to the fact that the shadows were poised to attack. So to me, that's not on patrol. That's more like, you know, attack response. But 
so then all of a sudden he sees, uh, you know, what the, and he gets covered by shadow. And then we see a spider ship with a star fury inside. Well, then all of a sudden he ends up in a psychor, uh, lockup area. And we found so, out his uh, Star Fury was found floating out in the middle of nowhere in Soldier's Out in the middle of nowhere, where, mm-hmm. like, then it was salvaged, and that's how Jakar ended up getting to this, like, seedy little bar that he was at, because it was the the serial numbers of, like, the Mopar or, you know, Chevrolet parts were, like, lighting up together. <laughs> that was actually and... a prop from Buckaroo Banzai, by the way. Really? Was it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's really funny. <laughs> Another one of my favorite guy uh, films with the guy from RoboCop who um, I can never remember his name, but I always just call him RoboCop, even though he was what? Buckaroo Banzai and also uh, an Admiral in Starfleet. But anyway. I don't count that Star Trek movie. Although he was, he did play the crazy terrorist in Terra Prime, which is Enterprise's true series finale. Oh, yeah, you're right. Peter Weller. Oh, I forgot about, yeah, Peter Weller. It's mm-hmm. and he's also uh, a professor of ancient history through Syracuse University. Um, but anywho, getting back to the topic on hand, um, what's our topic on to hand? Bring, at this point? <laughs> yeah, trying to bring this train wreck back on the rails. Um, oh shit, I completely lost my train of thought again. <laughs> it's still oh, derailed. derailed. No, it derailed. Emily, oh, what do you many, got? <laughs> many deaths, very sad. Was the person talking to Garibaldi while he was uh-huh. Morden? Because it's okay. Morden to me. This is something that's annoyed the crap out of me for 30 years. Because I don't know. They don't give like a credit to who's speaking. But that sure as shit sounds like Ed Wasser, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. Like, it does. Morden? Like, what in the hell is happening here? I mean, it did, but he wasn't wearing his like, his his cloak is well uh, but it's just his voice all you hear is his voice and just because he's the one talking to him doesn't mean he's gonna be the one entering the cell if he's still healing right that's true yeah his dark jedi cloak yeah this is this is another one of those jms never answered and i don't i mean but it absolutely does sound like ed wasser the actor who plays morton it does hearing things got it thank you that's really all i needed i feel better Ish. But then who is it? Like if if okay, so like my my train of thought with this, and maybe I can get it some on a track a little bit here. My train of thought on this is if Bester is actually supposed to be on the side of Babylon Five through this whole thing because of the fucked up stuff that EarthGov mm-hmm. was doing to telepaths, and Bester was like, okay, I'm on your side. Your I'm war is now you. my war. Yeah, yeah, your war is now my war. I'm going to help you out here. So then who else in Sidecore? We haven't seen anything from what it, what was her name? Agent, agent 13? 15 or agent 13? 13? Yeah. Like, is it, it was, it was a male figure, obviously you stepped in, but maybe we get to kind of go back through this whole, um, you know, agent 13 stuff that we saw at the very beginning of what season two, the Bureau that we mm-hmm. never really got to touch in with again. So Maybe we'll get to see a little bit more of stuff like that. But the rest of the thoughts and ideas I have about Garibaldi are my predictions. Okay. Anything else on Mr. Garibaldi? Okay. Let's go ahead now and move into questions, predictions. And as I was mentioning earlier, for those who haven't joined us, our newbies have not watched past 
whatever happened to Mr. Garibaldi. So they're going to provide us with any questions about what's lingering after watching this episode and then predictions of what's going to happen next. And Jesse did have to hop off early. So she did leave us with one prediction, and that is that Sheridan isn't dead. So well, we'll find out soon on that one. So let's go over to Emily first. Questions and predictions. Okay. So first prediction the in-between space is the unexpected door that may change the outcome. Because they had referred... It certainly to- was a lot of words, Emily. <laughs> Can you... Oh <laughs> Getting ready to explain did it, yeah, Did it come to you in a dream? They referred to Sheridan as having opened an unexpected door. So I think that's the in-between space. So their expected outcome is going to change because of this. Uh-huh. Because it was evil Kosh, Kosh 2.0, whatever, in the unexpected door. And yeah. that's the in-between space. Are we clear? Do we got it? That was, no, I got it. That's in, the, in the four seasons we've been doing this, that was the most nerdy prediction you've ever made. The in-between space. <laughs> <laughs> is the unexpected open door <laughs> like what <laughs> I, now like i guess slipped in the twilight zone territory <laughs> for a second there all right i was thinking uh, more twin peaks but yeah i'm the scary door <laughs> continue three questions did jakar leave b5 justifying garibaldi or was there another reason like is he just tired of sitting around and he needed something to do and he wanted to find Garibaldi, so this works? Is Garibaldi on Zaha Doom, Centauri Prime, or somewhere else? Because we know he was taken by the shadows, but where are they actually holding him? And since they're now putting uh, their spider ships on Centauri Prime, is that where he's located? And how many Horcrux can a Vorlon have? Because... <laughs> <laughs> Lorianne was like, there's a piece of caution side of you. I'm like, and we have Horcrux now, for lack of a better term. I know there's issues with J.K. Rowling, but I don't know I what else to call it. Mike absolutely did bring up the Horcrux before. I just can't remember if he did it on the main episode or if he did in the Beyond the Rim. Yeah. But he has made the Horcrux reference before. I say a lot of things. I don't know. <laughs> <sighs> no, honestly, you have a really good freaking point with that because even like Lorianne says, oh, they can put little pieces of them. So like they have lots of little eyes and ears all over the universe. And yeah, no, that makes a lot of damn oh, sense. And, and I hate then you for actually, it. sorry, I got uh, one more question. I hate how, Harry Potter so much. I'm just putting that on the line. So right now, how many Vorlon pieces can one person hold? Like, can you have one <laughs> piece from multiple? Now, I think I'm pretty sure Blake made this joke in Beyond the Rim as well. How many Vorlon sketches? Is, is there a number? Is like 47? Like 37? You took 37 Vorlons? Like, you know, love you, love you, Kevin Smith, if you're ever listening, but it's like 37. Because we know they travel in, like, other people and stuff so they can go get information. So, like, can one person be a little spy for two Vorlon? Does that work? So, <laughs> Johnny does <laughs> So, if you go over to Lurker's Guide, which the newbies can, there is a reference to Lita in this, uh, the Lurker's Guide for this episode, and I never realized why, because Lita's not even in this episode. But... I think it shows that JMS has the same thoughts that we do. So the question was, what did the Vorlons tell Lita about their intentions? And he says, only that they respect her in the morning. Oh my God, they're using people like a clown car. 
and they pay for her Uber. <laughs> like, is that where we're going with this? So, at least we know JMS is on the same oh, wavelength God. as us. I was going to go a different way and say, gotta catch them all. <laughs> Four lots. Four lots. You collect the whole set. Jesus. <laughs> all right, now that I derailed this. No. So no just, this we, we now have Justin tra- Train and Emily Train both lying on their sides <laughs> in a heap next to the railroad tracks. And apparently yeah. there's a Vorlon train being ran on leaders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god oh broke the show. reviews yep and blake hit it perfectly fuck <gasps> okay emily <laughs> emily is that all you have yep i'm done okay justin <laughs> give me a second god bring us home it. buddy bring us home oh god <laughs> He's no, talking I... about the Vorlon train. Yes, I am. Damn it. Give me a second. Give Come me a second. Ride the train. Choo-choo ride it. Choo-choo. One of these days, we're going to interview Pat Tallman, and you're all going to have to keep a, a, a normal face. That's not going to happen. I don't know, no, I, I don't know if that's now. possible, Scott. <laughs> So did you hear our podcast like... we were talking about Vorlon trains? <laughs> I don't know where, where we're going with this now. I don't know now either. Ah! Oh, hey there, Stepcosh. <laughs> right. How many Vorlons can you fit? For all those who will be leaving us after this episode, we appreciate <laughs> the over a year support you've given us, and yeah. we understand when you we're leave. We're sorry that it ended this way. We, and for yeah. those of you who stick around, you're sick fucks. Welcome to the perverts. perverts. Hi, James. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, focus. Hope you're happy All with right. your investment, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> we did reach 69 Patreon members last week. Uh, nice. <laughs> Buzzinga. Oh, God. Okay, Justin, questions, predictions, right. please. God damn it. Hold on. Uh, thank God for editing. Um, oh, you think I'm going to edit any of that shit? No. About no, that, that's, this is all going on. This is that's all, all staying on. in because this is fucking uh, gold. Oh, it's shit. all in like a Vorlon. <laughs> yeah, if you think I, I was going to edit any of that shit, you're fucking mistaken, sir. <laughs> Touched by Vorlon. Here we go. All right. All right. Question one. Why does Psychor have Garibaldi, and for what purpose? Question number two. How does Sheridan get the fuck out of Zaha Doom? And does he wait for the whole White Star Amada to show up before he actually gets off planet? Because they're on their way. Can you imagine, though, if uh, Delenn has finally come to the conclusion that they killed her man? Okay, she's, yeah. she's, she's come to that realization, yeah. which is why she's now taking the entire White Star fleet to their front door. Can you just imagine that she starts bombing the shit out of it before Sheridan gets off Zaha Doom? I think that's actually, and hold on, this is going to factor in here in a okay, minute. Okay, go ahead. Um, how many other races will join the strike? Because they made a point of reaching out to some of the other friendlier races from the now defunct League of Unaligned Worlds. Mm-hmm. to try and get additional ships to join in the fight. So I'm curious how many more join in, if any. Um, how does Londo's plan shake down? Like, 
you know, we all know the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So how does Londo's plan of trying to remove the psychotic emperor actually shake down? And then prediction one, I still am not convinced, but I think Londo will betray Jakar after taking down Cartagia. Uh, prediction number two, Garibaldi is going to be a programmed sleeper agent for Psychor. I think that's why Psychor has him so that they can program him to be like a sleeper spy agent on Babylon 5. And then, where the hell's Bester? And I want to know, like, shouldn't he know that they captured Garibaldi? And if if Bester is indeed on their side, he should be able to help them. And why is Bester not helping him? So that's kind of like questions and predictions kind of merged into one like gelatinous mass. We'll go ahead and leave it here for our newbies. They will be exited out the airlock, and then after our credits, we'll come back with Mike, Blake, and I and answer these questions and predictions in Beyond the Rim. So until next week when we discuss the summoning, I have been Scott, and with me has been... Blake. Emily. Justin. Mike. And fucking Jesse. <laughs> Remember to like, subscribe, follow on your on, uh, podcast app of choice or on YouTube. And please join the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, as well as on our Patreon Discord if you can come over there. And I didn't mention this at the front end, but thank you to all of our great council members on Patreon, our producers, who are all listed in the show notes below. We do really appreciate everything you've done. And a final thank you to everyone who has donated to our Extra Life campaign. It was a fun night last night when we recorded, so the Saturday, and uh, it's just amazing to see how much you all have supported this effort. Last year, Mike and I, we were doing the math, and we raised 250 bucks. This year, we raised 600, and it's still open. So I think uh, it's it's amazing what's been able to be done by this crowd in just a few short years. So we really do appreciate it, and uh, we'll uh, see y'all next week. Bye. Choo choo, motherfucker. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared approved or licensed by warner brothers or any other owners of the babylon 5 copyright all clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders they are included here for purpose of review and no infringement is intended the opening and closing themes are available from falling matter on youtube and what's out there the rim and beyond that the truth Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. Again, this is a spoiler section, so if you have not watched past whatever happened to Mr. Garibaldi, or if you just don't remember what happens after this, which sometimes it's me, go ahead and leave now, and we will be back next week. And if you want to dive into the spoiler section, let's get into it, guys. So first off, is there anything that the uh, newbies didn't talk about that we want to hit on with this episode? I don't have anything. Do any of you? No, I don't I think, think so. It's been pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> we almost missed the actual Mr. Garibaldi. <laughs>
<laughs> I, I, I was like, oh, we forgot something. Hey. Caught it in the end and wouldn't have really mattered either way. But... I mean, that's Jakar's whole point. Everyone's worried about Sheridan. No one thinks about Mr. Garibaldi. Yeah. And I think that's going to be Garibaldi's point. I mean, obviously, and we'll get to the predictions here in a minute, but that's what Garibaldi feels too. Either he's programmed to feel that way or not, that no one really cares about him. It's always the war. It's always Sheridan and everything else. And Mr. Garibaldi just kind of gets left on the, the wayside. So let's dive into the questions. And so first question, did Jakar leave just to find Garibaldi? Or is there another reason? Because Emily can never have straightforward reasons. She has to have another reason why this happens. <laughs> yeah, I yes. Yeah, he left just to find Garibaldi. I know. Jakar is a man of action. Throughout the entire show, he's always looking for what's next. If it's going to, whatever it's going to be, he has to be involved. Like he has to get pressed to take sanctuary on B5 because he really wants to go back to Narn and lead the rebellion. And he knows he's going to die, but he doesn't care. And I think this is one of those parts where there's a lull, nothing's happening. The shadows have been nuked, but no one knows what's going to happen yet. I mean, even we see Franklin talking about where we're just kind of waiting to see what happens next. I think Jakar just couldn't wait. He had to go find something to do. I think it makes sense. I think he just, he has a friend who's missing. No one else seems to be doing anything about anything. So he's just going to go. Yeah, although there there is a parallel between um, this and the the previous kind of fake plot line they dangled in front of him regarding the Toph. When somebody that's close to him is in danger, he goes. That's Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he pointed out to Marcus that it's his fight, no one else's. And he probably saved Marcus's life there because the Centauri weren't coming for him. They were coming for Jakar. And I think Marcus would have just been laid out and left for dead. So and even going back though with jakar and garibaldi was when jakar was trying to get weapons for narn and garibaldi Mm. sat down and asked him are you doing this and jakar said yeah and garibaldi gave him a con gave him contacts and ways uh to get the weapons and stuff he needed and it was because you didn't lie to me yes our owes garibaldi and they've became friends through the process of even when garibaldi arrested jakar and had him imprisoned after the assault on Londo. I think that is the moment even Jakar credits is that's what changed him. And he knows mm-hmm. Garibaldi for that. Very much so. That makes good sense. So talking about Mr. Garibaldi, is Garibaldi on Zaha Doom, Centauri Prime, or somewhere else? I don't know. I don't think it matters. It doesn't matter, but I'm going to guess somewhere else. Yeah, it's somewhere else. Um, Didn't they establish it was Mars at one point? I think maybe so. Maybe he's, yeah, I, you may be right. It's been a while since I've watched these episodes. But at the end of the I day, it's, it's, one a, of the it's a... ended books, too. I don't think it's necessarily in the episode. It's a Psychor Black site. Yeah. That's... Yeah, which we were told several seasons ago, they have plenty of black sites. Garibaldi knows where some of them are, and that's what it is. Because Emily did say, okay, is it part of the Centauri uh, conspiracy with the shadows being on the planet? No, this is absolutely the Psychor and Bester himself, which we'll get into that in a moment, uh, making a plan B of where he wants another sleeper agent on B5. Continue on the Garibaldi piece. Where is Bester in all of this? And if he's on B5's side, why isn't he helping or uh, why isn't he stopping what's happening to Garibaldi? Bester wants to use Garibaldi for his own purposes. Mm-hmm. Bester, Bester wasn't lying. He will help with the shadow issue because he feels that the shadows are endangering the his telepaths and quote unquote his telepaths. But he's also playing a long game. 
and he wants his telepaths protected and elevated to power. And so you know, the shadow thing is one thing. Working these other angles is another thing. He's got several different angles he's playing. So it's it's, it's more like he's mutually against the shadows more than he's on B5's side. Agreed. Yep. Yep. Your war is my war. So and we'll get more into this absolutely as we dive into it. But this this is a very big crux of the season. And I know some people love it and some people hate it. The whole idea that for the entire season, for the most part, Garibaldi is going to be on the outs and he is going to be uh, a sleeper for Besser. And um, that's an interesting take for the character. I'll be looking forward to seeing what the newbies think about this as we move forward, because first it'll be, why is Garibaldi being a dick? And then we'll find out what's happening to him. And then we'll get that scene with Bester and Garibaldi in the train car. And it'll be interesting what the newbies say. It's going to be a fun season. So let's go over to Zaha Doom. Uh, how does Sheridan get off of Zaha Doom? Well, there's going to be this movie called Star Trek V where God needs a starship. <laughs> I mean, do we ever actually find out how they got off? Because like they just show up, right? Yeah, because basically there's a mysterious ship that approaches B-5. So somewhere Lorian either wills himself a ship or has a first one shuttle laying around. <laughs> well, I mean, he, Lorian never actually says he's in prison on Zaha Doom. He's just hanging out there. And that's why the shadows keep coming back, because they're coming back to hang out with their their buddy their, well, their 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 friend and they they kind of address it even doesn't don't they like doesn't sheridan ask him don't you have a way out of here and doesn't he say something stupid like maybe because <laughs> <laughs> you love lorian's double speak all the yeah. time <laughs> maybe i do maybe i don't yeah Not sheridan Lorian. does i think that's what lorian was trying to do throughout this episode was trying to get sheridan to realize there's another alternative because he's he's telling sheridan you have to give in to death you have to give in you have to just sacrifice yourself to talk and then finally sheridan's like isn't there another option and then lorian starts saying well maybe maybe there is if you have something worth living for, and I do have a Cadillac down the street, we can hop it and we'll be fine. Oh, and here comes where we fell off the rails, kids. How many Horcruxes can a Vorlon have? <laughs> I don't know. Wow. <laughs> I, we, Kosh is only in one person. And we actually, Lita says, she does not have Kosh. So Sheridan has Kosh, and we will find out what happens with Kosh down the road. And Blake, you alluded to this a few episodes ago. We're going to have a good old knockdown, dragdown outfight with uh, Kosh and Alkosh at the very end. So dealing with Zaha Doom some more. How many other races will join the strike on Zaha Doom? They don't really get to go to have that yeah. strike on Zaha Doom. And, but we, to their point, we're going to see several episodes of Marcus and Ivanova trying to get the first ones on board. We're going to see the League get kind of dragooned into helping here and there. This also happens after the Shadow War is over as well. But yeah, I mean, Delenn's strike never it's, happens. Yeah, because it's going to lead up to, at the end of the next episode, you've got the mysterious ship approaching B5. Mm -hmm. And episode four, you've got all of the non-aligned worlds arguing about you know sheridan went to zaha doom and he died what the hell do you expect us to do and that's when you have sheridan that steps out and says we can end this not just now not just for the next thousand years but forever break the cycle and then the last question we have is how does londo's plan shake out well cartesia gets uh gets killed yeah i, I think the whole point is cartesia sees Jakar as an it sees him as a plaything, and Londo knows that allows for a distraction. 
And that's really all it is, is the plan is to distract Cartesia to a point where we get to off his ass. Mm-hmm. And it gets it more into detail. And then at the very end of it, it actually all falls apart, but it kind of still goes to plan, even though it doesn't go to plan. But really, he sees this as just an opening to uh, be able to take out Cartagio without having Londo be the one to do it. He can have Jakar be the one to do it. And I, I do love how this plays out, too, because, I mean, we are going to see the torture of Jakar. But we also see, you know, flash forward to season five. Uh, I was on Yum 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 Pod's discussion of a season yeah. five episode. And one of the scenes in the episode we talked about was the Centauri. Uh, Jakar is acting as a bodyguard to Londo. And when he's on Centauri Prime, the Centauri bring out the guard that will whip him during the torture and hand Jakar the whip. And he says, you know, who do you blame? The, the hand that does it? Or the heart that ordered it. Mm-hmm. The heart is dead. So I mean, it's just got that whole arc, and it, it'll eventually pay off with the full character arc of Jakar. Yes, yeah. And I always go back to that scene that will be coming up, um, where Jakar and Londo meet for that last time, while Londo knows that he's going to get his keeper, and they have that final frank, independent conversation where they forgive each other. Moving into predictions. Sheridan doesn't die. Well, no shit. He's in the credits. The in-between is the unexpected door that the Vorlons referred to. I think, yeah, because, it, I mean, I think Kosh knew Lorian was down there, and the rest of the Vorlons like, oh, shit, he found Dad. Did they, I, I don't know about that, though. I mean, I can see where you're coming from, but I see it as much more simply that they hurt the shadows, so now the Vorlons can take the upper hand. I don't think the Vorlons know the connection. I mean, they know Lorian's down there, but, but I don't think they know the connection. But that's, I think that's because they were pretty adamant that like they weren't even go to Zaha Doom. They weren't even going to go investigate this. Mm-hmm. I think that's because they know he's there and they know he's probably not going to be real happy. Mm-hmm. But they also know now that somebody has gone to Zaha Doom and done the, the dirty deed for them. So now they can deal with it. We'll see. I, I, I can see it going both ways. I don't think it's ever really truly explained. But at the end of the day, it allows the Vorlons to take the advantage. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they're, they're going to be more active than passive. Yeah. Londo will portray Jakar after taking down the Emperor. I want to point out that this came from Justin, who has been the one defending Londo the most. <laughs> for for the past four seasons now he has as the arc has gone on justin has definitely seen that londo has turned but he's still been the guy who's like i still hope londo's got some good in him and he's like now nah, he's gonna betray jakar but also even tonight there was a point when he was like i think this is where londo's gonna turn it around <laughs> but maybe not <laughs> but maybe not <laughs> but no i think I... when londo gave jakar his word he meant it and we'll see it i think he did too there is there is something interesting here that i was going to bring up and I was debating when to do it, but it's 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 a question of okay, you know, Cartagia is a problem that they're going to try to remove. But what what makes Londo think he's going to be in the position bar, right behind Cartagia to be able to fulfill that promise to Jakar? I mean, is he is he next in line to become emperor right after Cartagia? Yes, because that, that's pretty much was established that he had been put in line to be emperor, and that's mm-hmm. why he was being moved into the positions he was in. 
was it? He, he, I don't think it was like outright blatantly said. No, it's just been alluded to because it's like been the, alluded to. the Malari yeah. house and the Rifa house were the two biggest houses and Rifa's house is now gone. And then also Cartagia has no heir. So it's kind of, there would probably be a, pa- a power vacuum for a bit, but yeah. Londo, everyone assumes Londo has the ability, especially since he has his shadow friends, uh, has the ability to take over. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Fair enough. This one. Man, Justin got it. Garibaldi will be a sleeper agent for the Psychor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it feels fairly obvious, but I don't know. I guess I've seen it before, so I don't know. <laughs> it's obvious in retrospect. I mean, that's they're obviously torturing Garibaldi and working on him somehow, so it makes yeah. perfect sense. Yeah. And we know Psychor has used, uh, well, I mean, they used Talia. For the same reason. I do love that Justin is still hoping beyond hope that Bureau 13 will come back. I know. Once again, it came up and like, I just, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't know how this man's going to feel at the end when like, yeah. is he going to realize that Bureau 13 never happened or are we going to have to point it out to him? Well, and even if he realizes it or not, sooner or later we're going to have to tell him the reason why he doesn't get Bureau 13 is because it was a reference to a tabletop game that was ill and uh, yeah. not intended. Yep. He didn't know the tabletop game existed until He'll after they made it. it. He'll, <laughs> He'll love that connection. And JMS flat out said, you will never hear about Bureau 13 again. <laughs> okay, guys. So that's the end of the questions, predictions for this episode. Next episode, we have is the summoning so we'll be here next week to discuss that uh really do appreciate all of you continuing to join us on this journey as we continue to dive into season four which i think is going to be really exciting for the newbies and for us as we keep going so again please be sure to like subscribe follow and then join us in the conversation all the links are down below and there is the link to our extra life donation page so if you can help us continue to grow that donation for the children's miracle network for this year please feel free to do that as well and uh, we'll be back with you next week so i've been scott and with me has been blake and mike have a good one see ya Right. Okay. Alrighty then. Drive me, you press.